With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 26 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As every player who does, the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. So here we are, pulling into the final week of the 2019 regular season, and the Mets are alive, kind of, depending on your point of view. I've gone into, you know, even though I delve into the past, I always like to start and see where we are a little bit, and this has been an enjoyable team. I think of myself as quite the skeptic. You kind of have to be to look back at this franchise's history in general, and to look at these slightly less famous, more obscure, unformidable Mets in particular, but I'm really shocked at how into this 2019 team I have been, and how at some point I really did believe they could pull this off, I think. And I'm even more shocked at, obviously, shitty ownership aside, uh, my skepticism on the GM, still still not a big fan of the uh, Cano-Diaz trade, and you know, still feel like he's learning on the job, J.D. Davis aside, and hate the manager. But these players, I mean, I'd, I'm ready to start the 2020 season tomorrow with this team, and, and a few more pitchers in the bullpen, of course. I usually like to try and tie 
players in to Unformidable, how the team's doing, uh, who the team's playing. I don't want to presume how this is going to end. Uh, we've had analogs, or suggested analogs to 2005 and 1998. I hope it's more a miraculous 1973 or the 2011 Cardinals and Devil Rays. And why aren't the Red Sox and Braves 2011 collapses mentioned more? Why is it always the 2007 Mets when people need to go to a team that collapses? But at any rate, I don't want to presume how this is going to end. I'm going to just look back at a random player. Uh, and also just was thinking about the fact that the Mets have a couple of likely award winners this year. Jacob deGrom should, by all rights, pick up a back-to-back Cy Young Award, which would be unprecedented in franchise history. Pete Alonso should be cruising to the Rookie of the Year award and a home run title. I think only Kingman and Strawberry won home run titles as Mets. I'll have to look that up. But uh, no one's certainly ever hit this many for, as a Mets, so that's delightful. Uh, one thing the Mets won't have as an award winner this year is a gold glove winner. Uh, the great Keith Hernandez aside, Mets have rarely been known for defense, which is particularly odd for a team built on pitching, but so it goes, I guess. Only 10 Mets have ever won a gold glove, and one of the more obscure players to win one, and the only Met player to win one at his position, is one Doug Flynn, today's unformidable Met. Doug Flynn was born in Lexington, Kentucky. He's apparently born Robert Douglas Flynn. I wish I had this information uh, a while ago, when I met him at an autograph signing at City Field, because now I feel like I instinctively dislike him. Why would someone not go with the name Robert? I, I don't understand that, and I don't appreciate it. But at any rate, Doug Flynn had uh, quite the athletic pedigree. His dad was in the Brooklyn Dodgers minor league system, and his mom was a star in fast-pitch softball leagues. And Flynn, despite his lack of size, uh, excelled, starring in high school in baseball, basketball, and football. Played quarterback on a 12-1 high school football team. I'm from New York. I don't get the high school football fascination, but that seems like it's kind of a big deal in other places. So I imagine Doug was quite the popular high school student. I wouldn't know anything about how that works. Um, But he wound up going to the University of Kentucky on a combination baseball-basketball scholarship. And that, of course, also is incredibly impressive. Kentucky basketball scholarship and from what I read online he was a great shooter but he was 5'8 when he went to college so obviously his future in basketball looked limited so while attending Kentucky uh, Flynn and some friends just uh, went to a Cincinnati Reds tryout camp and he made the cut Uh, he I don't know he he showed up uh, made it to a second tryout camp and audition at Riverfront Stadium, and the Reds signed him as an amateur free agent in 1971. Flynn batted 245 with six home runs and 113 RBIs over three seasons in the Reds' farm system. He made two all-star teams. It was a glove-first era, as we'll discuss further, and he, including one all-star team in AAA with fellow future Met Ray Knight, and his glove greatly impressed the Reds' manager at the time, Sparky Anderson. Despite primarily being a what looked seemed to be an excellent defensive shortstop in the minors, uh, Doug Flynn went into Reds' spring training in 1975, battling three other players for the third base job, as Dave Concepcion was pretty locked in at short. Flynn recalled that he was in awe walking into the locker room, 
seeing players you've rooted for as a kid, like Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, and Pete Rose. And this will be the only time you'll hear this sentence uttered in this podcast, I would think, but Doug, or, or in any conjunction with Doug Flynn, but Flynn impressed the Reds with his hitting in spring training, going 32 for 90 in spring training, which is an average, the heights of which you would not see in his major league career. He made the team uh, primarily as a utility player. No one outright claimed the third base job, and through April, Flynn batted 172. So uh, Sparky Anderson actually moved Pete Rose to third base, uh, entrenched George Foster in left field, and a team that was actually 500 in mid-May, I think they were 18 and 18 or so, would go on to win 108 games, uh, win the National League West by 20 games, and go on to form the beginnings of the Big Red Machine. Uh, the reduced role, you know, seemed to seemed to really be where Flynn was suited for, too. Uh, the rest of the season, he batted 296 as a, you know, backup player, utility infielder. And Flynn would actually hit his first Major League home run on May 21st of 1975 against your New York Mets. He hit it in the eighth inning against Tom Hall in a game in which Tom Seaver was the losing pitcher. And in a year in which the franchise would go 22-9 and with a 2.38 ERA, win his third Cy Young Award, that big red machine got to him for seven runs, although only three earned in four and two-thirds innings. Just a dangerous lineup to pitch to, especially when someone like Doug Flynn is chipping in a three-run home run. In his first season in the big leagues, Doug Flynn would be a world champion, although he did not appear in the postseason. Uh, he would fill the same utility infielder role for the Reds in 1976, although he got regular action early in the season due to a Joe Morgan back injury. He appeared in 93 games for the 1976 Big Red Machine. He hit 270, pardon me, 283 that year, which was a career high. He hit one homer and 20 RBIs, and he saw his only inning of playoff action that year. He came into second base in the ninth inning of game one of the NLCS against the Phillies. That team, uh, I think I touched on this briefly in the Joel Youngblood, unformidable. Uh, they they swept through the playoffs in seven games against the Phillies and the Yankees, and it seemed like they used no pinch hitters, very few relief pitchers. You know, I, I always wondered why a team with only two world championships gets put up in all those great, great dynasties. But yeah, that team just seemed like they coasted through that playoffs like few in history. And while for Doug Flynn, while he would uh, become a more of a regular when he would come to the New York Mets, spoiler alert, I guess he knew he was a Met though by virtue of being on this podcast, uh, team-wise, he would obviously never reach those heights again. He started his career two championships in two seasons, and after that he never again played for a team that finished higher than third place, which can be the lot for many when they don the orange and blue. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, right. In 1977, Flynn was appearing very sporadically for the Reds. He appeared in 36 games through June 12th, mostly as a late-inning replacement for Pete Rose at third base. He only recorded 32 at-bats. And I think most Met fans know, either by experience or knowing their Mets history, know the internal strife going on with the Mets at the time. Uh, the chairman of the board, M. Donald Grant, was sparring with his star player. Imagine that, the Mets running down a star player in the press and degrading one of their best marketing materials, the franchise. Can't believe the Mets would ever treat a star right-handed pitcher that way. But the Mets and Seaver were feuding. The Reds, the Big Red Machine, was a stunning seven games behind the Dodgers. And on June 15th, the Midnight Massacre, Doug Flynn came along with Pat Zachary, Steve Henderson, and Dan Norman to the New York Mets for Tom Seaver. This trade has been legislated and complained about by many wiser and more eloquent than I, so I won't get too into that. We'll just focus on Doug Flynn's place in it, where you know, it was a rough adjustment for him uh, professionally and personally in New York. He spent most of 1977 with the Mets at shortstop as Felix Mion was at second. And Flynn struggled at the plate, as he did a lot of his career. He certainly didn't make anyone forget the franchise, slashing, hitting 191 with a 220 on base percentage and 220 slugging percentage, over 282 at bats with no homers and 14 RBIs as a Met. And unfortunately, I learned sadly in preparing for this podcast that he struggled personally in New York as his sister had disappeared that year of a, a suspected murder that, as far as I know, is still unsolved. And Flynn was forced to endure a lot of scrutiny from it from New York reporters. And he apparently lashed out a lot, uh, feeling that it was quite an invasion of privacy. So, you know, he was supplanting or, or is traded for this franchise player uh, in a new city uh, with a struggling team where he used to uh, play for a world champion and was dealing with an incredible personal trauma. So must have been an incredibly difficult adjustment to New York. But Doug Flynn would actually you know, turn that around and become quite a popular player with the Mets and you know, did well in his tenure here for the next four years or so. And if you're a listener of Unformidable, you heard our Felix Mian podcast and the unfortunate end of Mian's major league career when he got body slammed by Ed Ott uh, and on a breaking up a double play at second base. And uh, Flynn was a shortstop on that. He had supplanted Bud Harrelson at short and flipped the potential double play ball to Mian, which led to the incident that essentially ended Mian's career. He never played in the majors again, and we went into it in much more detail in his unformidable. So in that 77 offseason in 1978, the Mets reacquired Tim Foley to play short, sold Mion's contract to Japan, and intended and did effectively move Flynn to second. And that, unformidable listeners, is my 
earliest childhood memory met double play combo at tim foley and doug flynn mcneil and rosario they were not at least with the bat although i suppose they were better defensively but way <laughs> off with the bat at any rate in 1978 doug flynn toggled between second and short because of a tim foley knee injury Produced a moderate, modest 237 batting average, new homers, 36 RBIs, mostly batted in the eighth spot for manager Joe Torre, although he was a Joe Torre favorite based on many quotes I read. And he did tie Lenny Randall and Joel Youngblood for the team lead with eight triples. And uh, we'll, we'll get to triples again shortly. Uh, just looking at some of his highlights as a Met, it took over a thousand at bats, but on May 1st, 1979, hitting 164 coming into the game, Doug Flynn hit his first home run as a New York Met. A three-run shot off of future Hall of Famer Gaylord Perry, one of seven career home runs Doug would have, in front of a robust 5,614 people at Shea Stadium, apparently. Um, all told, 1979. So, so if you're at that game, uh, please please let us know, because you would be one of a rare, rare breed. I'd expect to see a tweeted picture of a ticket stub or something, please. But 79 was Flynn's best offensive season. He batted 243 with four of those seven career home runs and 61 RBIs. And he was definitely getting a reputation and emerged as one of the better fielding second basemen in the NL Led the league in putouts and double plays, and was third in the league with a 983 fielding percentage. 1980 would be Flynn's best statistical season overall, and the one in which he would become the third Met to ever win a Gold Glove, following Tommy Agee and Buddy Harrelson. And in another exciting highlight, if defense doesn't quite do it for you, well, it certainly doesn't do it for you when someone just talks about defense. I guess when you see defense, it, maybe it's a different story, but. If the triple is the most exciting play in baseball, as has been said colloquially, well, Doug Flynn had one of the most exciting days in baseball history by that by this measure, because on, on August 5th, 1980, Flynn tied a major league record with three triples in one game, taking advantage of the turf in the Big O in Montreal, and I also imagine taking advantage of some outfielders probably playing quite shallow based on Flynn's not-so-robust batting history. So Flynn tied the record, tied a record, a major league record, and he batted 419 that week with five runs scored, three of them on those three triples, and five RBIs to win National League Player of the Week. And again, you know, great, great year for Flynn. You know, won a Player of the Week award and, you know, made his greatest contributions to the club with his glove a 991 fielding percentage, and earned that Gold Glove Award. And as a note, I, I, I don't know where they keep these statistics, but I did read that he was the runner-up for the Gold Glove at second base, his other three full seasons in New York, coming in second in the voting each of those years. So valued for his glove, Flynn signed a five-year, $2.4 million contract with the Mets prior to the 1981 season, but that did not prevent it from being his last season as a Met. General manager Frank Cashin was getting impatient with the club's losing, and a young second baseman named Wally Backman was waiting in the wings in the minors, ready, the Mets thought, to make the jump to the majors. So the Mets, at the end of the 81 season, the Mets traded Flynn to the Texas Rangers with Dan Boitano for Jim Kern. Uh, Kern never 
appeared with the Matthews package with Greg Harris and Alex Trevino for George Foster from the Cincinnati Reds. Once he left the Mets, uh, Flynn, he didn't really find a home in Texas. He only played 88 games there, got supplanted at second base, and was shipped by the Rangers to the Expos for the then-standard $40,000 waiver fee on August 16th of 1982. And Flynn spent two and a half happier or more productive years in Montreal, he started at both second and shortstop, and 1984 being his last season is really a full-time starter, where he was often replaced as a pinch hitter in close games. He recorded only 382 at-bats, which were his fewest since 1977, aside from the strike-shortened 81 season. He was relegated to the bench in a more full-time capacity in 85, so very little time with the Expos that year. He had only six at-bats through early June before he was released. And he kind of came full circle, signing as a free agent with the Detroit Tigers and getting reunited with his old Reds manager, Sparky Anderson. And he spent that last season of his career in his customary for Sparky Anderson kind of three positions, second, third, short utility infield role that, you know, you would think would have been his natural outcome as opposed to being a regular for so long. But anyway... Uh, Flynn re-upped with the Tigers in 86, but was released during spring training and announced his retirement, saying, you know in your heart when it's time to quit. So offensively, Flynn's numbers are kind of rough. Just to recap his career, he recorded a negative 6.9 war, according to baseball reference. He hit 238 for his career with a 266 on base percentage and a 294 slugging percentage. That's a 560 OPS and a 58 OPS plus. Half of that career, almost exactly, in at-bats was with the Mets. And for the Mets, he hit 234, 264 on-base percentage, 292 slugging, 557 OPS, 57 OPS plus. So the man was consistent. Just a different kind of player only. Well, it's not only anymore. I guess we're talking 40 years ago, basically. So yeah, he had... 918 hits in 3,853 career at-bats. Never struck out in 4,035 plate appearances. He walked 151 times and struck out 320 times. That sounds like a season and a half for an Adam Dunn or a three-true outcome kind of player. And for the Mets, he recorded a negative 3.9 war. Again, that's according to Baseball Reference. He was worth a positive one war in 1980, his best number statistically. And his defensive numbers, if you look online, his you know advanced statistics, while perhaps not justifying such a long career, do back up that he was a positive to strong defender. And of course, at some very tough positions, uh, short, second, and third across his career. Flynn was always a little personally bothered by his lack of pop. He said he was told, if you just field it, great. If you get a hit, it'll be a bonus. But he always said, I never felt that was true. You want to be able to hit the ball and make a difference. And of course, he did play when light-hitting middle infielders were very much de rigueur. And, you know, one thing that kept popping in my head thinking about Doug Flynn is that he is a throwback. And of course, when I hear that term, it's invariably looted because I think to myself, yeah, throwback, you know, to when players of color were not allowed to compete. And there were room for players such as this on MLB rosters. 
And, well, if you look on Baseball Reference at his similarity scores, which I sometimes like to do to put a player into context, six out of the ten players who are closest to Flynn statistically, according to Baseball Reference, started their careers before integration, you know, started them in the 19 teens, 1920s, 1930s, including such epic old-school baseball names as Rabbit Worstler and Skeeter Newsom. So that was a fun find. But Flynn was always popular and appreciated with his teammates, uh, big red machine teammates, thought he was a valuable player. He finished with a 238 batting average, but, you know, definitely a great defensive player and a hard-nosed player, uh, popular with fans, popular with his teammates, and sticking around for 4,035 career plate appearances and winning a gold glove and having a very eclectic post-baseball life or and during baseball life. Uh, as I learned online, he apparently has a good voice and toured with the Oak Ridge Boys during the 1981 strike season and performed regularly singing in clubs in New York City when he was a, with the Mets. So I thought that was incredibly interesting. Uh, he coached in the Met organization in the 90s, uh, managed in the Gulf Coast League, but left coaching in 1997 when he was offered a job at a bank in his hometown. Uh, and he still lives there in Kentucky, but he still does like to stay involved in and around baseball. And in fact, as I mentioned earlier, uh, he appeared at an event at City Field during the 2019 season, signed, signing uh, pictures and t-shirts that they're giving away on a free shirt Friday. Very garrulous and engaging, and uh, he and he was there with Joel Youngblood, and they spent a lot of time with the fans, and uh, it was, uh, and he still looks good, and it was uh, very nice to see. And always appreciated, I think, when, when players maintain that connection with the teams they were a part of. Doug Flynn, 4,000 plus major league at-bats, seven home runs, 284 RBIs, one gold glove, completely unformidable. Thank you so much for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for our Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on the social medias of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please subscribe to them. Leave a review if it's possible. It really helps us. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and let's go Mets. And God help me, Phillies and Reds and Rockies and Indians, let's go. Please.